0: Hey, get your Bibles out. We are uh, on the third week of a sort of a spontaneous sermon series called The Mission. This was prompted by my time in Nepal. Um, if, you, if you've been at King's Church for a while, you know we've not preached a lot on evangelism. That's not, it's not because we don't believe in it. We do. Um, but in this season, God is, God is stirring my heart up towards His mission for His church I want to to be all about that. Um, By the way, we're going to welcome baby Jubilee Rose, who is here this morning. We love her. We're so excited that she's here. What a precious little one. It's beautiful. And Sasha mentioned, you know, Mother's Day. We are thankful for our moms. And she's, Sasha is right that it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword for, 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 for many of you. Many of you are, are, um, have not been moms and would love to. Some of you have lost children. Some of you are, have lost moms. Um, so it's a mixed bag. God knows that. But whoever you are, whether you're just a spiritual mom to many or whether you're a mom in your heart alone and God's not giving you children, whether you're a mom of many... You are dearly loved. You are dearly loved and valued. And we just want to say, Happy Mother's Day to you. So, uh, Luke 14. Go there. This is not up on the screen, but I wanted to begin with this. This is the heart of the Father. um, The heart of the Father for His church. Jesus is teaching, um, and He's giving a parable. He's spoken parables quite often as a means of getting attention, of getting his getting a hook into the heart of the of the listener, so he could really communicate his truth, so he would tell these stories. These weren't these aren't true accounts; these are made up stories, so to speak, that he would tell to communicate a truth. So I want to read one of these to you. It says this in Luke 14 verse 15. When one he was teaching about uh, you know uh, um, teaching some of those he's at a dinner party and he says this. Um, Jesus said a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses the first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see to it. Please excuse me. RSVPs were coming in. You know, you ever get those in the mail? Please RSVP. You no, know, I politely decline or I'll attend. And all these RSVPs are coming in with decline, decline, decline. So please excuse me. I, got a fi- I bought a field and I gotta go see the field. <clears throat> Good excuse. <clears throat> uh, another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became very angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I'm I'm, I'm believing that the point of that parable is going to be evident to us. God wants his house full. And he says, go out and compel them to come in. And part of this parable is sort of a a finger in the eye of the Pharisees who sort of these religious leaders of Israel, they should have been the first ones inside of God's kingdom. They're the ones that God showed up to, his chosen people, all that stuff. They should have been the very first ones that say, God, we're part of it. But Jesus is saying, listen, you guys are rejecting me. You're rejecting the party. I'm going to find the least deserving people and bring them into the table instead. And that's still, honestly, that's still the heart of God. God wants the least deserving people at the head of his table. So, um, where am I going with that? Oh, yeah. Luke 14. Compel them to come in. I want this phrase to resonate with us, not just this morning, but in the season to come. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. God wants a full house. You know, we talk about, uh, we're about numbers in church planting and church conferences. You know, when pastors get together, you know what they say? You know, the first thing they say is, oh, oh you're a pastor? You know, how, how many people you got coming to your church? We play the numbers game. How big, you know, how big is your church? How many people do you have coming to it? We like to play that game, and there's a danger in that. There's a danger in equating success with how big our church is, Right? So it's, 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 we're tempted to say, oh, it's not about numbers. God doesn't care about numbers. Luke 14 suggests otherwise. That doesn't mean that God wants every church to be a megachurch. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the kingdom, not local churches. The kingdom, God wants it full. He loves numbers. In fact, he named the book of the Bible after it. He loves numbers that much. He wants his kingdom to be full of people. Look around you. This is not enough. God wants more. God wants every seat occupied. He wants every house occupied. He wants his kingdom and his banquet table to be. You ever been to those? I love those. You know, we, like sometimes whenever we go out to eat, we'll invite some friends along or my family will get together, and like we gotta like drag tables from other parts of the restaurant. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like gotta cram kids in. And I remember going to my grandmother's house. You know, and there's my grandmother and grandfather had ten children. My father was one of ten. It's a lot. And each of those kids had a bunch. So there's like, there's probably thirty five cousins on my dad's side, plus all the aunts and uncles. So anytime we'd get together, there was just n- clearly no room for little scrubs like me to have a place at the table. You know, but it's was, it was like they would find a way to make that happen. Thanksgiving, you'd be dragging the piano bench. Everybody sat on a piano bench at grandma's house. Piano bench with a phone book. Man, that was, I didn't know what a real chair was like at my grandma's house for the longest time. <laughs> You know, it's like I graduated when I got to sit in a real chair. It's like you're just, you're gonna make room. You're gonna cram people in. Oh, come, no, no, no! Come on, we got plenty of room. That's the heart of God. Come on in, we got plenty of room. So I want this to resonate with you and I. This this urgency that does not come from anything else except from God's heartbeat Himself. All right, so we're gonna I, we're we're unpacking part three. This is a little bit more um, of some practical thing. Well, some practical, but a little bit more. Um. A little bit more teaching through some things that um, that I feel like the Lord is is, is unpacking. It's not going to be one passage of Scripture. I'm going to be bouncing around, highlighting some of these. Bear with me. I don't like doing that a lot. I really love teaching exegetically through the Bible, but this is not one of those. So uh, I read you Luke 14. I wrote this down, personal evangelism. After prayer, listen to this. After prayer, it's the single most important factor in the growth of the church is personal evangelism. After what? What's the most important thing? What's our priority? What are we called to be a house of? After that, what's the single most important factor in the growth of church is personal evangelism. Compel them to come in. If we pray, but don't actively be great commission, Matthew twenty eighteen kind of people, we are not fulfilling the mission that God has us to do. Single most important factor. Let me read some. T- I've been on statistics the last three weeks. I've got some more today. Here we go. 45% of all statistics are made up. <laughs> Just kidding. 73% of Christians believe it's their responsibility, <clears throat> excuse me, 73% of Christians believe it's their responsibility to share their faith. How many of you believe it's your responsibility to share your faith? Man, we're better than average. Come on, 73% believe it's our responsibility, your responsibility, everybody's responsibility to share your faith. 95% of Christians have never led someone to the Lord. 52% of those that have, have done so in the past year. So of the ones that have evangelized, led someone to the Lord, only half of them have done so within the past 12 months. In other words, yeah, I did something. You know, I was at a camp counselor when I was 15, and I led a troop of Boy Scouts to the Lord. And I, Well, have you done anything since then? Well, no, I haven't. So, or, you know, only a small portion of those that actually have evangelized have done so uh, in, in the last year. Um, I want to unpack in light of it, So the point of this is I want us to be an evangelism, uh, an, an evangelistic church, not evangelical I'm not getting into that so I'm talking about but evangelistic in the in the biblical sense of the word Matthew 28 Luke 14 I want to give you six common methods of evangelism that generally speaking we in the church have used these are all good they're all effective there's different times and places for each of these methods so that's the good news is there's not one way to evangelize that's the beauty of the Lord. The Lord's like, you know what? There's all kinds of things, you know? Um, you ever been fishing? Those of you that new, fish, is there one way to fish? Is there one like rod and reel that you use, one lure? No, there's all kinds of different ways to fish. You can, you know, you can do the old spinner bait and crank it in, or you can do fly fishing and, and, and fish that way. You can go out and, uh, and, uh, and, and get a big net and throw it out there and pull it in that way. There's all kinds creek of things. Fish, fish. You can creek fish, pond fish, river fish, brook, all that. Come on, Bubba Gump, let's go. So, so, so there's all kinds of ways to do this. And it takes the pressure to realize that, you know, God's, God's, God's just got all kinds of different strengths at work. So let me give you one of these. And this first one, though, is going to be the... I'm going to give you a graphic a little later on. So It's supposed to go this way, right, Jonathan? Sorry, that's where the camera is. Sorry, camera over here. <laughs> I want to give, this first one though is a, is a gimme. This is like, I mean, if we're not doing this, we, we got to check our pulse because we're probably dead. This is lifestyle evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism is, is communicating the gospel through the way that you live your life. That's basic stuff, y'all. This is like pre-K. Let me read to you an ancient letter. This is about a 1,900-year-old letter that someone that we don't know wrote to someone else that we don't know. We know that the guy's name, who is reading the letter, is Diognetus. It tells you how old he was, and it was written roughly the first 100 or 200 years uh, in the church. So, not too long after the church was started somebody, Anonymous, wrote a letter to Diognetus, his friend, explaining who this strange new group of people called Christians are. So, who knows? Diognetus may have been writing. Maybe he was a a leader in the Roman Empire, and he's like, hey, can you tell me more about this sect called the Way? I want to know more about them. And his friend gets it. Okay, well, let me tell you, Diognetus, about this group called Christians. He says this, Christians are indistinguishable from other men either by nationality, language, or custom. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based upon reveries inspired by the curiosities of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine with regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general. They follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it's Greek or foreign. You with me on this? And yet, says the writer, there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children but do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. So lifestyle evangelism is we are called to live remarkably different than the world. Matthew 5, salt of the earth, light of the world. We're called to stand apart by the way that we live, by the decisions we make, by the words that come out of our mouth, by our ambitions, by our attitudes, by the things that we value, by the things that we spend our money on, by our, by our sexual choices, by the things that we watch on TV, by the way that we interact at work. We are called to be different to say, I'm sorry, listen, I, I got to tell you, my life is different because of Jesus Christ. And there's a quote that's often attributed to Francis of Assisi, he didn't really say this, but it's, it, it's a good meme. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. In other words, the gospel is preached through the way that we live our lives. There's some scriptures for this. Matthew five sixteen. this is up here. In the same way, let your light shine before others, says Jesus, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says this. He says, let your light shine, because when that happens, people are going to see. What are they going to see? They're not going to hear your words of evangelism. They're going to see your good works. They're going to see what you're doing. They're going to give praise to your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus says. 1 Peter 2.12. Peter's writing to the church. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Different translation up here. I'll read this one. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So it is is essential that the way that you and I live our lives before we open up a single word about the faith it is essential that our lives reflect the truth and the holiness of the one that we represent. It doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect. We don't have to put on a facade. We're not putting on this, this artificial sheen of having it all together. That's not what I'm talking about at all. It just means that we live lives of integrity. That's lifestyle evangelism. Every one of us can do this. Every one of us should do this. This is a given. So that's the good news. The other part of that is that's not enough. I quoted Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use the words. Here's the truth. It is necessary. You do have to use words. I want to submit to you that lifestyle evangelism by itself is not enough. We've got to go beyond just being a silent witness to being a vocal witness as well. So that's the first Method of evangelism, that's the given, that's the—that's the, sort of the, the, the main you know, uh, foundation of it all. Here's the second method of evangelism I call crisis evangelism. Crisis evangelism is evangelizing people that are in places of, of serious crisis in their life. How many of you have been uh, involved in prison ministry before? Anybody been to prison ministry? That's crisis evangelism that is addressing people that are in a particular crisis in their life. Here's the crazy thing about Nobody wants a crisis. You don't want to wish that on anyone. But the crazy thing about a crisis, it has a way of shaking a person and getting their attention and opening up their, they're opening up their heart, making them spiritually receptive to the gospel in ways that they wouldn't be. So honestly, prison ministry is a pretty powerful ministry. You know, you go in there and there's just. No one, uh, tell a joke. Basically, you got a captive audience. <laughs> Nothing else to do but lay around and lift weights. I want to go hear this preacher. I want to go hear this person. And begin to unpack the gospel. Um, so uh, prison ministry is one. Homeless ministry, people that are in homeless shelters. We do a lighthouse. You know, that, that's a crisis for many of those individuals. Something has brought them to that place. There's a lot of disruption. Um, ministering to people that have drug addictions, recovery, uh, those kind of things. Um, uh, abortion clinic, people that are, that, are, that are pre-abortion. There's a high spiritual receptivity to people that are facing a crisis. Let me give you some examples of that, um, of crisis evangelism. Acts chapter 16 Paul and Silas, I I, I spoke about this, I think, earlier, maybe during a prayer. Paul and Silas, they have been evangelizing in the city of Philippi. They are arrested. They are put in jail. They are shackled up. And the Bible says that during the night, they begin to worship. At midnight, they begin to worship and pray, says the word. And as they do that, something supernatural begins to happen, there 's an earthquake. the walls of the of, of the prison begin to, to to become unstable. The doors uh, of the prison fall down. the chains that are on not just their ankles but those of all the prisoners there begin to fall off and basically it 's like the Lord has just freed everyone at once that 's not the crisis that i 'm talking about though when this happens um, Everybody, well, let let me read a little bit of it, a little bit more than what I've got here. Acts 16, um, verse, verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. I can tell you, I don't know of any job I've had where if I have a poor performance, I'm going to commit suicide. This guy felt that way though. Whatever the situation was, he felt that his life was in danger because of his failure to keep these guys in prison. Maybe he fell asleep on the job, whatever it was, who knows. Basically, he's dropped the ball. All these guys are out. I'm going to kill myself before I get hauled in before my before my superiors. Listen to this. But Paul shouted, "Don't harm yourself. We are all here." Here's the crisis. A suicidal man. And Paul says, stop. No, 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 no. We haven't gone anywhere. The jailer called for lights. Bring me a torch. Bring me a lamp. Bring me something. Rushed in fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's something about in the face of a crisis to see the light of the gospel that it immediately causes a heart to be open. We're called to do crisis evangelism as a church. Third method of evangelism is this, direct evangelism. This would be, um, sometimes if you're ever kind of flipping through YouTube or Facebook watch, you'll see these videos um, of, of a guy with like an Australian accent who is out on the streets, got the little camera interviewing people. You know what I'm talking about? His name is Ray Comfort. You ever seen Ray Comfort? You know, I think it's called like Living Waters or something is his ministry channel. And he goes around, he's interviewing people. And he always usually begins kind of with, um, you know, with a with common question. If you were to die tonight, do you know, you know, where you would go? Or some form of that. And he's got an incredible, he's got an incredible ministry. You can sense, you can sense the love of God in his heart and in his voice, even though he is very direct, even though he is very confrontational at times. Um, but he's just, he's basically out there on the street. Doesn't matter who it is. I want to go up to you. I want to talk to you about Jesus. I want to go up to you. I want to talk to you about Jesus. There's no relationship there. This is direct evangelism. This is a powerful way of, of many, many, many people have been led to the faith through this method of evangelism. Anybody here, by the way, been ministered to or led to the Lord from something like this? Maybe a, you have okay somebody that you didn't necessarily know. They just come up to you and challenge you with the truth claims of the gospel. Maybe they were an apologist or or something else. There, let me give you some biblical examples of this also of direct evangelism. Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight describes Philip, one of the early apostles, and by the the Lord directed him supernaturally to go out to a particular road heading outside of Jerusalem. And it says this. This is not up on the screen. Let me read a few verses before. Um, He started out. On his way, he met a Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man, the, the, the eunuch, had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, the, the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading it all. There's a whole other teaching I've done on that. That's, I'd love to do that one day if I haven't already. Um, he's reading the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. Verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so, pull up the verse again, if you can. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. Next slide. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is direct evangelism. Yeah, there's a lot of Holy Spirit power underneath it. There's some supernatural things happening underneath it. But by and large, this is Philip, who doesn't know this individual, just comes up to him and engages him with the gospel. The next thing you know, the, 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 the eunuch is saying, hey, there's water, can I be baptized right now? So there's power in direct evangelism. Um, Lydia, in, this, uh, Lydia in, in, in Philippi also, we read the chapter 16 of, of, of where they were in prison, this is the same chapter. Um, the Bible says that when they arrived at Philippi, uh, Paul and his friends didn't know anyone here. They go to a river. It's common for people to be gathering at rivers, especially if there's not a synagogue nearby. Um, Jews or God-fearers, people that worship the Jewish God in foreign lands, if they didn't have a synagogue, would often just have a little impromptu prayer meeting at some place like the river. And, they just, uh, and and Paul discovers one of these. He goes up to this river and he sees this gathering of women. Uh, chapter 16 says this, We sat down. Uh, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak with the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. That's direct evangelism. It can be confrontational. There's a photograph I saw this week when Meg and I lived in, in Jackson, Mississippi. We were a block away from an abortion clinic. It's the abortion clinic that's in national news right now. The one represented in the case before the Supreme Court. It's the only abortion clinic in Mississippi. The other four have been shut down um, in the last 20 years. It's the last one. It's right there um, in the Fonder neighborhood. We are about a block away. And many people from, from Dayspring, the church that we were a part of, would go and, and minister there, stand outside of, the, um, outside of the gated area, try to hand out literature, pray, sing hymns, those kind of things. Um, saw a photograph of a, of a friend of mine who was the president of the seminary, a um, good friend of my family's, Matt Ear, standing outside with a microphone just preaching the gospel outside of the last abortion clinic in Mississippi. President of a seminary. Who does that? Not hateful, not mean-spirited, nothing more. than Listen, God loves you. God wants more for you than this. Come, let us pray for you. We'll help you. We'll help take care of you. That kind of language. Some would say that's confrontational. That's direct evangelism. That is just proclaiming the gospel. That's the third common method of evangelism. Here's the fourth one is mass evangelism. Mass evangelism. Think of, well, mass means many people. If you were all non-believers sitting here and I was proclaiming the gospel, this would be mass evangelism. I'm speaking to a large group. Think of crusades. Think of Billy. Anybody been to a Billy Graham crusade? Did you know that Billy Graham, they estimate, listen to this wild figure. In his lifetime, he spoke live, not, not, not televised, Live to 210 million people. That is insane. Oh my word. (sighs) They estimate close to a billion have seen him on television. Think of ones like Reinhard Bonnke in, 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 in Africa. Tens of thousands, tens of thousands of people come just to hear him proclaim the gospel. This would include um, media like TV, radio, and the internet. Meg was mentioning, you know, places like France where there is such a um, a, a negligible evangelical population. So few biblical churches there that many missionaries are just broadcasting on radio, even into countries like Muslim countries are broadcasting the gospel in via radio waves or on the internet or places like that. That's mass evangelism that's communicating to a large group of people. Um, An example would be, uh, of course, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He is teaching about the kingdom, not just to one or two, but to a crowd of thousands that are out there. Um, Acts chapter 2 also is an example of mass evangelism. In fact, this is the first example of evangelism following Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Peter preaches to them. He doesn't have a sermon prepared. This is a cool thing about it takes a lot of pressure off off of me. He doesn't have a sermon prepared. You know, he doesn't have graphics. He is just through the power of the Holy Spirit preaching the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. After Pentecost, out on the streets, thousands of people are listening. Listen to what it says. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we have to do to be saved? How do we respond to this? What you've told us, we've never heard. The power and the authority that are on your words, we've never heard. What do we have to do? And the places, you know, you go, these, 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 these venues, these crusades, these conferences where the, where the anointing and the power of God is there, you just begin to see that. You know, I remember hearing testimonies of, of, um, from, from Brownsville. Yeah, Brownsville Revival. What was that, Steve? 95, maybe? 94? I remember some friends going down there and just hearing about how this evangelist would just be pouring out his guts, just pouring himself out. You know, when the time comes for the altar, he would just be saying, you need to get down here. You don't need to walk. You need to run. You need to run to the altars, and people would just be pouring out of their seats from this and just running to the front. That's the power of the gospel in, in this kind of mass evangelism. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Yeah, so people heard this were cut to the heart. So Here's, I want to give you number five and six together, and then I want to talk about these last two, and I'll tell you why in a minute. The fifth one is, is what we call power evangelism. Power evangelism is sort of a combination of several things. It is, um, it is, it is, it is ministering to, to people um, with, a, with a manife- usually a manifestation of the power of God in that. You can see that, of course, in, 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 in mass evangelism and direct evangelism, but there's something about power evangelism means you are using sort of supernatural power um, to, uh, to communicate the gospel. A great example is John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Jesus has, is, is in, in, a town, uh, in a town of Samaria. He, uh, they, he's gone out of his way to go there. It's like, okay, this is the wrong place because Samaria, you are, if you're Jewish, you're not welcome there. This is... Kind of the wrong part of town, the wrong part of Israel, but Jesus goes anyway. He shows up. He meets this Samaritan woman. He has this encounter with this Samaritan woman, um, and the next thing you know, he is, he is just, he is reading her mail. He is delivering a word of knowledge to her um, that just, that cracks her heart open for the gospel, um, and, and she sort of begins this conversation um, with, uh, doesn't matter, but right now he says, I want you to go and, go and find your husband, He says to her, and she says, well, I don't have a husband. Um, And he says, and this is where Jesus' word of knowledge comes in. Let me read it to you here. Um, He says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So Jesus did not know this in the natural. He did not know her Her friends weren't there. He didn't look her up on stalker on Facebook and all that stuff. This was was given to him by the Holy Spirit. That's what a word of knowledge is. It's knowledge about something that you would not know ordinarily. And Jesus heard this, received it, said it to the woman. The woman's eyes and heart were suddenly opened. She says, you know what? I know you're a prophet now because of what you just did. And this is what it says. Many of this, so she goes back. This is a cool thing. She goes back to the town. Um, She says, uh, uh, verse 39 Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Well, actually, let me jump up to 28. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? In verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So this is an example of power evangelism, of using a gift of the Spirit supernaturally to break open someone's heart. and It leads to uh, an incredible breakthrough. All right, so that's number five is power evangelism. The last one is, I'm going to say it's the most significant one. and pull up the graphic, if you would, if you see that there, Jared. Relational evangelism, there we go. This is the spear point. Everything is sort of like fueled by lifestyle evangelism. Like this is that kind of the shaft of that spear. If we don't have that, we don't have anything. We're not evangelizing if we're not living a lifestyle. But look, the, the sort of that center one, the tip of the spear really is relational evangelism. And this is how most evangelism occurs is through personal relationships. How many of you were led to the Lord by a mother or a father or a family member? How many of you were led to the Lord by a close friend? Most evangelism occurs this way: through relationships. That's how it's meant to be. Look, for example, at um, John chapter one. This is how Jesus begins to build his tribe of 12. He doesn't pull names out of a lottery. He goes and he finds a guy named Andrew. Andrew, I want you to be my disciple. I want you, I want you to come and follow after me. What does Andrew do? Let me go to Luke 9 or, or, or John chapter 1. I'll read it to you. At the end of John 1, 42. Andrew... Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So Andrew follows Jesus, verse 41. The first thing Andrew did, y'all say first thing, was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Same thing happens with some other brothers. James and John happens with a third set of brothers, Philip and Nathaniel. The vast majority of evangelism is happening this way through personal relationships. If you're a mother or father, if you've got kids in your home, that's the, that's the low-hanging fruit right there. You know what I'm saying? Let's not talk about the 1040 window. Are we, are we, are we discipling our children? Are we leading our children into faith? Are we praying with them? Are we saying, this is the truth? You've got to make this your own. That's like, that's a low-hanging fruit. Any of us can do that, you know? You've got a table? Let's Come on, let's come together. Relational event. Most evangelism occurs through personal relationships. Friends, relatives, neighbors. This is the easiest thing because there's already a context of relationship there. Sometimes it's the hardest thing because there's already a relationship there. I have this thought, too, about my neighbor. You know, sometimes whenever we move to places... If I have not spoken to my neighbor about the faith, it's hard years later to go back and do that, you know, because you feel like there's already kind of like this um, narrative that's there and this wasn't part of it. How easy is it when you begin that new relationship with someone to just sort of drop in there who you are and, uh, you know, what what your life is about? That makes it a lot easier to have these conversations later. You know, once I've had those conversations with my neighbors, it's really easy to bring those up again in conversations you know, so this is, the, this is by far the most, um, the most significant way that we build the kingdom is through, um, is through relationships. So I, um, let me look at my notes here and see where I'm going with this. These, I want to talk about these last two, the relational evangelism and the power evangelism. I want to focus in on those. Um, I think we're called to do all of these. We're probably not going to do a lot of mass evangelism as a church. maybe one day. Um, I hope we can do some crisis evangelism. I'd love for, for the Lord to raise up that ministry of prisons or, or crisis pregnancy or addiction, your recovery, any of those kind of things. I have a heart for that. Direct evangelism, I'm all for that. You know? It's like, get on the street. Go on. Go person to person. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Some of you are like, live and breathe that kind of confrontational thing. Those of us that are nines and introverts, whoo, making a sweat to think about that, you know? I remember we had, we had an assignment in seminary. This was in an evangelism class, and more than our assignment was, okay, you know, you gotta go, you gotta go to the mall, you gotta share the gospel with at least two people every week. Oh my word. For some of you, that's no big deal at all. For others, that's just, you know, you may as well ask me to, to like, pull my teeth out with a pair of pliers. Some people just aren't wired for that. The good news is every believer doesn't have to do all of these, but the church needs to do all of these. The kingdom of God is all of these. So if direct evangelism is your thing, that's awesome. Let's do it. Um, Relational evangelism, lifestyle evangelism better be your thing. Relational evangelism better be your thing. And I'm betting power evangelism can be your thing, and here's why I think so. I think these last two are prioritized in the gospel, power evangelism and relational evangelism. Here's why. And that, I have a hard time saying that, evangelism. Whew. I think it's prioritized in the gospel and in Acts. These two are. Acts. If you read through, you can't even barely turn a page without seeing the evangelism combined with supernatural power. It's all over the place. There's things happening, miraculous healings, the dead coming to life. You know, people, demons being cast out. It just—it's just all over the place. It's prioritized in the gospel and in Acts. I think it was likely a priority for. Um, I think it's likely a priority for our local church as well. And I wrote this down. I said, because few things are more irresistible to the lost world than encountering the love and power of God. I don't think people can resist that. I think relational evangelism works because we are manifesting God's love through our own love. You already have a relationship with so many people. You love them. God wants to love them through you. That's why it works. It's because they trust you. Even if you don't know them that much, they still they trust you. You know, you work beside them, or you know, you go to school, whatever, whatever it is. There's there's a relationship with there, and it's just it's a natural flow for the love of God to come and just to begin to pour through you, you know, and say, you know what, you know, my friend, listen, I I I know you're going, I'm. I'm, I'm role-playing right now. I know you're going through a really hard time. I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. God loves you. Can we get together and let me just tell you a little bit more about God's love? Do you see how natural that is? People want to be loved. People want to know real love. They do. They're hungry for it. They've seen every false version of it all around them. You know, you watch the the, the clips of this the celebrity lawsuit that's happening. And at the heart of that are two broken people who are so broken and so hungry for real love yeah. and don't know how to find it or where to find it. The world is made for the love of God. Our hearts are made for the love of God. And we have a chance to share that. That's why it works. I think power evangelism works as well because it provides irrefutable proof of who God is. <laughs> That's the beauty of combining power evangelism with relational evangelism. We can come in and say, you know what? God loves you. Can I I show you how powerful He is? That's why I so want us to walk in some of these gifts of healing and prophecies. We get to release the power of God into people's lives. And they're caught off guard. They're like, I had no idea. Because if God shows up in that kind of power, He must really care about me. And that's the whole point. Why do we practice healing? Because we want people to know that the God who heals is the God who loves and the God who saves. So imagine what a combination of supernatural love and supernatural power can look like in a church family. Come on. Imagine if, if, if we were known for that, not for our own reputation, but for God's reputation. Imagine if we were known, man, that's a church that has supernatural love. Amen. That's a church that has supernatural power. Amen. Don't give me one without the other. Amen. So I want to give you a challenge, but first I want, to, I want to throw out some barriers to evangelism. Jesus film, the Jesus film project <laughs> did a survey recently what prevents you from sharing your faith they asked this they polled a number of people they got some of the answers back number 1 anybody want to guess what number 1 was fear, fear. 100% man come on i don't do it because i'm afraid i'm afraid of offending someone i'm afraid of crossing a line with a relationship that i shouldn't have crossed I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of hostility. I'm afraid of misrepresenting the faith. <laughs> i tell you what, you've got to add Brad's name to that list. If I'm honest with myself, half the time that I don't do it is because I'm afraid. That's number one. That's a, that was number one. Number two barrier to, and I've got these up, I think. You can throw these up on the screen. Um, There we go. Lack of opportunity is the number two barrier. Lack of opportunity. You know what? I just, I never seem to have the opportunity to share my faith. And in truth, many are waiting for the perfect opportunity. Here's the perfect opportunity. I'm sitting down at Starbucks drinking my latte, and poor wayward soul Chuck who's lost comes up to me and sits down and he says Sir, you, you look like you're someone who has some good answers. Do you mind telling me about your faith? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a perfect opportunity. I mean, how do you miss that one? That's not even a slow pitch. That's like somebody dangling the ball right over the mm-hmm. p- <laughs> That doesn't happen. There's not the perfect opportunity. We have to make opportunity. They don't exist. If we wait for the perfect opportunity, we'll never do anything. So this lack of opportunity is like, you know, it's kind of like, it it can be a lie. Or if there's a lack of opportunity, maybe we are, A, too, too long in the wrong places, If you don't know any people that are and I'm listen, I'm gonna say this last line to me first. I'm talking to Easley here. Y'all can just listen in. (laughs) Easily? If you don't know any lost people, something's wrong. If all I ever encounter are you guys, something's wrong with that picture. Lack of opportunity third fear, or third barrier to evangelism is we just feel like, listen, I'm not equipped. I, I don't know the Bible. I've not memorized enough scripture. I don't know the four spiritual laws. I don't know the Roman road. I'm afraid they're going to ask me a question that I can't answer. Anybody feel that way? Come on. These are are legitimate. They they are. And I want us to be aware of these, and I want us to to sort of combat these for the sake of the gospel. You know, I want us to say, you know, instead of fear, we're going to walk in boldness. Because the disciples went from being afraid during those last days of Jesus' ministry... Bible says that they hid even after he was raised from the dead they're still hiding in fear but the Holy Spirit comes and it's night and day difference these dudes are bold same spirit that you and I have can enable boldness for evangelism so instead of fear we have boldness instead of missed opportunities we make opportunities I want us to make opportunities Instead of being ill-equipped, I want us to feel and to be empowered and equipped with every resource that we need. You don't have to memorize the Bible to evangelize. You don't have to be a theologian or an apologetic to evangelize. Here's the cool thing. You know, you, um, you know when Jesus says in, in, at the end of Matthew 28, he says, he says um, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the witnesses is the word that he uses. You notice he doesn't say you will be my apologists. You'll be my Bible scholars. He doesn't even say you will be my evangelists. He uses one word, witnesses. You know what a witness? Well, if, you, if, if they're called up on, 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 on the courtroom to the, to the bench, witnesses, they raise a hand, they swear to tell the truth. Do you know what they testify about? What they have seen or heard. In fact, if, you, if, you ask, if the lawyer asks them something outside of that, they're going to get an objection hearsay or an objection this or an objection that. A witness simply says, guys, listen, I may not have all the answers. All I can tell you was I once was this way, I met Jesus, and now I'm this way. That's all that we're called to do. Does God want us to know the word? Yes. Is the, is the word a powerful weapon that we can use? Yes. Can we memorize a few key scriptures to help, our, to help our case? Absolutely we can and we should. But we don't have to be Bible scholars. We just have to be witnesses who say, I'm just going to tell you my story. Let me tell you my story. I was in a rough place just like you were, friend. I was addicted. I was homeless. I was broken. And I said yes to Jesus and this is what it's been like ever since. Or... You know what? Let me tell you my story, friend. I wasn't broken or homeless addicted. I was, I was a white collar making $500,000 a year. Everything had it all together. But in my, in my heart, I was so lonely and empty. And then I met him. Let me tell you about him. And you tell them your story. That's it. That's all there is to it. It's not hard to do. So I want to challenge us um, with something here, Jim, musicians coming up let 's do this together, bring this uh, bring um, yeah, musicians come on up here. I want to give you a challenge if you 're willing to become a great commission Christian in this season ahead. this is the challenge for you if you 're willing to do this, maybe you 're not here that 's okay maybe you're, look maybe this in your church home it 's okay i 'm I'm, I'm just This isn't about King's Church. This is about just being a great commission Christian who says, yes, God is compelling me to go out and I want to fill his house. This is for you. The challenge is this. I want you to confront your own barriers. What stands in your way? Is it fear? Listen, join the club. We're all here. Come on. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be thought ill of. But you hold in your hand the cure to the greatest spiritual cancer the world has ever known. What are you afraid of? You hold in your hand bread to a world full of starving beggars. What are you afraid of? Their hearts were made for what you have. What are you afraid of? Lack of opportunity, what prevents you? Maybe it's a lack of opportunity. I want you to confront that and say, am I making opportunity? Am I spending some time in places where I know the lost are? Not equipped. I want you to confront your own barriers. I want you to connect with God's heart for the world. I want you to begin to ask this question whenever you go out. God, how do you feel about that person over there? How do you feel about the people in my work office? How do you feel about my neighbor? ask God and begin to listen. I promise he's going to begin to reveal his heart for you and you're going to get gripped with God's heart and you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. When you begin to get a sense of God's heart for the lost, you won't stop. You'll be bringing in people so fast I don't even know what to do with myself. Connect with God's heart for the world. Choose to become more equipped. Practically some things, ways that, uh, that, we, that you can do that, And I'll share these with you. I'll I'll write these out for you later. First of all, develop your testimony. Learn to to tell your story in about three minutes. What life was like before, how you met Christ, the difference that he's made. Practice that. Find a friend. Say, hey, can I practice telling my story, my faith story too? Can can we practice together so that when that time comes, I'm able to share it and I've already done it. I've already sort of, I, I, I know what that is. We'll have some training events coming up. There's one coming in, in, in later in the summer that's going to be a powerful time of, of training you for power evangelism. And we're going to have some opportunities to do that in the weeks after this event. I'm really excited about this. I'm going to tell you more about it once the logistics are nailed down, but it's coming in, 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 in um, the late summer. So commit to things like those training events. There are books, there are videos. You have a... You have, you have a, a Access to Right Now Media, it's free. We give you access to it. If you don't have one, come and find Jackie and she'll connect you with it. There's all kinds of videos on there about evangelism. I can give you books, I can help you get the resources to develop that. Choose to become more good and finally walk in giftings. Learn to walk in the, in the supernatural. We've done training on that in the Pastor Kingdom Boot Camp. We'll be doing it again. Don't wait on that though. Begin to say, you know what? I want to receive, I want, to walk, I want an impartation of healing and prophecy. Can you pray for that for me? We'll do it. God wants to do it. God wants an empowered church. There's no option but an empowered church. You can't do evangelism without power. Choose to become more quick. Finally, commit. Commit to engage with the unsaved to engage with the unsaved through three ways. Three ways to do this: begin to ask the Lord for power encounters. Ask the Lord to show you someone who needs supernatural healing. That's a, that's in a, that's so easy to do. Hey, buddy, Do you mind, listen, I know that you've, you've got this thing going on. Do you mind if I pray for you? Who's, I've, I've yet to find somebody that says no to that. And I've asked many, many people. That's an incredible way to do it. You can begin, so not only power encounters, you can begin to initiate some spiritual conversations with people. Jesus did this with his disciples at Caesarea. He says, who do, you, who do people say that I am? They answered. He says, well, who do you say that I am? It's a great way it's great to begin to ask people hey you know what listen I, in my church we've been talking a whole lot about what's true what's not true what do you think is true there's a whole lot of religions in the world what do you think is the true one and they'll tell you their answer and say that's that's, that's really I can tell you thought a lot about this can I, can I tell you what I think is true that's a spiritual conversation that's very non-threatening and finally invitations just like the woman of Samaria she goes she says come and see come and see you can do the same thing. Come and see. Come and see what a faith family can look like. So I've got these on a piece of paper, this commitment. Believing that I'm called to be a, a great commissioned Christian, I commit to confront my own barriers to evangelism, connect with God's heart for the world, choose to become more equipped, commit to engage with the unsaved. And I've included far, uh, four little invite cards right here. Aren't these beautiful? Pink little business card. It says, Welcome to Family. On the back, it's got King's Church, Sundays 10 a.m. Where we're located, our website, and things like that. These are just easy to, easy, easy to take with you. When we were selling um, the, uh, the the card, whatever those are, the fundraising cards, stick it on the top. Say, Hey, by the way, we we'll just let you know we're praying for you. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to, to get to know you more and put it in their hands. You're going to have four of these to take with you. And we've got a whole lot more. That's part of my challenge is, is, is to, to shift into an invitation mode. All right, let's stand up together. I don't want to hand these out just um, flippantly. I want you to make that choice on your own that you want to commit to this with me. I'm going to commit to do it. I bet my beloved bride's going to commit to do it. She's been leading the way on this already. She's like, see that guy pull over. We're praying for him. I just want to go deeper. I just want to be closer to the heart of God. I just want to be more, 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 more Luke 14. We're going to sing. If that's you, they're in baskets right up here. Come and take one. If that's not you, that's okay. I'm not judging you. I love you. I just want to do what the Father is telling me to do. That's to call you to this kind of lifestyle again. So let me pray for us. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. Come and take one of these out of the basket. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came after us. You were left in 99 and you came after us. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving the glory of heaven. And coming and finding me on that day in July, 1990. You spoke my name. You called my name. You brought me in. Things have never been the same since then. Father, I just want to be a Great Commission Christian. Because you're a Great Commission God. So Father, just empower me, empower us in this season to come, Lord. We cannot do it without you. We can barely get out of bed and tie shoes without you. Yet alone win the lost. Hmm. We want your house to be full, Jesus. We want your house to be full, Father. We want those who are in slavery to be set free those in addictions to be set free lord we want those grandmothers and grandfathers who have always resisted you to have hearts softened to say yes lord we want those neighbors coworkers schoolmates to discover life and purpose and truth god we want that in the areas of our hearts that we don't want help us to want We want to want. For your glory, Lord God. Amen.